Psalm 137. I'm going to be in the Passion Translation. This is something the Lord has given us. Uh, if you were here Tuesday night, this is just a little more, um, what's the word? It's, it's a little more uh, studied up. than it, Tuesday was just on the fly. And so this is going to be some, some insight that we didn't have Tuesday. Um, all right, let me read. I'll read this very short. Um, if you missed the beginning and you walked in, you're like, why on earth are they reading 15 chapters? So we, we read 15 chapters of Scripture before the message even started, right? That was just free. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just free. So, like, y'all got 15 chapters in this morning. What do y'all do at your church? We read the Bible. That's basically what we do. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, but those are the Psalms of Ascent. I'm doing this every morning, and I'm going to try to memorize these at some point. But if you go through in Psalm 120 to 135 every morning, I'm just reading those over and over. They're super short. It took us, I think, 10 or 15 minutes to get through them. But, man, that, I mean, that will change how you see a lot of stuff. So I encourage you to do that. Um, okay, Psalm 137. I'll start at verse 1. Along the banks of Babylon's rivers, we sat as exiles, we being Israelites, um, specifically people from Judah, Jerusalem, mourning our captivity and went, excuse me, and wept with great love for Zion. Okay? Along the banks of Babylon's river, we sat as exiles, mourning our captivity, and wept with great love for Zion. Our music and mirth were heard no longer, only sadness. This is huge. We hung up our harps on the willow trees. Our captors tormented us, saying, Make music for us and sing one of your happy Zion songs. But how could we sing the song of the Lord in this foreign wilderness? May my hands never make music again if I ever forget you, O Jerusalem. This is a big verse. May I never be able to sing again if I fail to honor Jerusalem supremely. And Lord, may you never forget what the sons of Edom did to us, saying, Let's raise the city of Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. Listen, O Babylon, you evil destroyer. The one who destroys you will be rewarded above all others. You will be repaid for what you've done to us. Great honor will come to those who destroy you and your future by smashing your infants against the rubble of your own destruction. Pretty heavy, right? All right. Um, let me start with some notes. Babylon is first seen in Scripture in Genesis 11 under the guise of Babel, the story of the Tower of Babel, right? It's the Hebrew word that's used 262 times in the Old Testament. Most of the time, it's rendered Babylon. It most likely comes from the Hebrew word balal, which means to mix or to confuse. So Babylon is a place of confusion or mixture. 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 In 2 Kings 20, verses 12 through 19, envoys from Babylon come to Jerusalem, and King Hezekiah shows them every treasure of Judah. If you go back and read this, it's a really weird story, really weird story. Um, these envoys come in from Babylon. King Hezekiah, who otherwise is a really good king, King Hezekiah says, Hey, so glad you guys are here. Let me show you all of our riches. Now, why would Hezekiah do that? You know what I mean? He does, they don't do that for everybody else. Why is Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20, 12 and 19, and again, Hezekiah is one of the few really good kings. 
Why does Hezekiah, when Babylon comes into town, why does he immediately respond by, let me show you all of our treasures. Let me show you what we have. It's really interesting. Remember that. Isaiah, the prophet, in response to what Hezekiah does, prophesies that Babylon will one day carry those very treasures off. Later, in the 500s B.C., Babylon, in fact, takes Jerusalem into exile into Babylon. Babylon and Jerusalem, or Zion, you could use Jerusalem and Zion interchangeably, specifically in this passage we just read. So Babylon and Zion stand against each other. They're two competing views of the world, of culture, of purpose, and of God. Zion is the place where God's presence is fully known. And we read this this morning, but this is what it says in Psalm 122.3. It says, O Jerusalem, or Zion, you were built as a city of praise where God and man mingle together as one. That's what Zion is where God and man mingle together as one. So here in Psalm 137, you have a few things going on. So you have Babylon, which is where the people of God are. Now I'm going to write these down, and at some point I'll move this up to the stage so I have more room. But anyway, um, like I said, if you were here Tuesday night, hang with us. Help me out. Okay, so this is Psalm 127, just so you know. 137, excuse me. Okay, so you have Babylon. Okay, this is where people from Jerusalem and Judah, but let's, we're, we're going to keep with what the writing is. Jerusalem is in Judah. This is where Jerusalem is exiled. Okay, Babylon is where Jerusalem is exiled. You got um, them hanging their harps up, so you have harps. You have willow trees. Everybody good? Okay. I t- I, listen, I only taught like 30 minutes the past two weeks, so I got a lot of bank time. All right? You have willow trees. Now, let me, let me, let me just point these out, and I'm going to try to do this really easily. Harps. Okay? So Babylon, that's where they're, they're exiled to. Harps might sound familiar, and it might not. David, King David, when Saul, the king that preceded David was tormented by an evil spirit, he would call David in to play what for him? The harp, right? So when David is out in the field um, shepherding sheep for his father Jesse and he's ministering to the Lord, he's playing the harp. David is the beloved one. David is the king after God's own heart. So a harp represents the song of beloved identity. This is, see, y'all didn't get this on Tuesday. Okay. Harp, Song of Beloved Identity. Willow tree, if you remember in Psalm 1, the willow tree is the tree that Psalm 1 talks about when it says, and let me just, I'll just read this so that you guys know and remember it. Um, it says, What delight comes to the one that follows God's ways? He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share in the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scoffer, scorner's seat. 
His pleasure and passion comes in remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life, never drying, never fainting, ever blessed, and ever prosperous. That tree that Psalm 1 talks about is a willow tree. Okay? Because where are they? They're on the shores, in Psalm 137, they're on the banks or the shores of Babylon, where willow trees would have been planted and their roots would have gone so deep into this reservoir of water that their leaves would have never withered. Season in and season out, they would have been flourishing. So they're hanging up their song of beloved identity on the very identity that they were designed to be, staying in step with God's ways at the shores of Babylon. Y'all just hang with me. Okay. Their captors are, I'm not going to write this, but their captors are tormenting them. They're making fun of them, saying, why don't you play us one of your happy Zion songs? Let's, let's hear those songs y'all used to play. Aren't you happy? Play your songs. Come on. You know what I'm saying? That's what they're saying. They torment them. They say that they don't want to sing their songs because they're in a foreign wilderness. Okay, so they're in a foreign wilderness, which of course we know is Babylon. But the reason the writer of this psalms, psalm is saying foreign wilderness is to point to what? Anybody know? Exodus. Thank you, Evan, and whoever else said that. Okay, so he's pointing back to Exodus. Uh, they connect their song, their singing for joy, with honoring Jerusalem supremely. Above all others. That's what it says. May I never be able to sing again if I fail to honor Jerusalem supremely. Okay? So you have honor of Jerusalem. Let me say, let me write, keep it in consistent. Of Zion supremely. If I don't spell this right, y'all don't judge me. Honoring Zion supremely is connected to their song. All right, almost done. And then it takes a weird turn in verse 7, and it says, May the Lord never forget what the sons of Edom did to us, saying, Let's raise. The word raise there is not R-A-I-S-E, not like raise it up. The word raise there is R-A-Z-E, which is to strip it naked. So let's strip naked the city of Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. What? Like, what, where did that come from? So you have the sons of Edom that stripped it naked. So sons of Edom. Okay? And then, last couple things. The one who destroys, it says, Babylon will be blessed among all others, and their infants smashed against their rubble. My Lord, how could the Bible say that? I'll show you. Infants destroyed. And just to keep you from going crazy... The infants there is not talking about actual kids. It's talking about fruit. So you don't have to worry about that. All right. So you have Babylon. You have harps. You have willow trees. You have the foreign wilderness. You have honoring Zion. You have sons of Edom. You have infants destroyed. And then you have Zion up here that I meant to write first, which is, let's just say, presence. Okay. Everybody good? So the Israelites have found themselves in Babylon. Let me 
do a little line here and write this with a different color. At, once I get all this written, I'm going to preach. So y'all just hang with me for a second. Okay. Babylon is the equivalent of today, what was before COVID, New York City, right? Now New York, nobody wants to be in New York City, but before COVID, New York City was just the mecca of life. Like everything was growing, everything expanding, the rich getting richer, the, the poor getting poorer. Like, you know what I'm saying? But like it, it is, if, if you're going to be an artist, if you're going to be a musician, if you're going to be, you know, because Nashville is great for country music, but, but if you're going to be legit, you're going to be in New York City. You know what I mean? It is it's the, the mecca of everything. This is what Babylon is. Babylon judges success based on quantity. Babylon judges success on quantity. They care about how much you have, how fast you get it, how much influence you have, how much of a following that you have, how much money that you have. It's all quantitative. Even if this comes at the expense of who you are, they don't care. It's all about what you have. That's why when the Babylonians go into Jerusalem, which is Zion, the place of presence, Hezekiah doesn't teach them about the presence. Hezekiah brings them around and shows him all the riches that he has. This is Hezekiah who, when he becomes king, goes through and destroys all the places of foreign god worship. That's Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is a good king. But when Babylon comes into town, what does Hezekiah do? Let me show you our treasure room right over here. And what he doesn't realize is, is as he's showing Babylon all of their riches, he's giving Babylon a blueprint of where to go when they invade. Babylon, success is quantity. How much at any cost? Babylon might say it like this. We're really willing to reach the world at any cost short of sin. That might be how Babylon would say that. Right? Zion judges success on quality. Zion is not concerned with how much you have. Zion is designed to judge success based on who you become. So Babylon has a success model based on quantity. Zion has a success model based on quality. This is Zion. This is Babylon. So let me read this one more time with this in mind. Along the banks of Babylon's rivers, we sat as exiles, mourning our captivity and wept with great love for Zion. Our music and mirth were no longer heard, only sadness. We hung up our harps on the willow trees. Our captures tormented us, saying, Make music for us and sing one of your happy Zion songs. 
But how could we sing the song of the Lord in this foreign wilderness? May my hands never make music again if I ever forget Jerusalem. May I never be able to sing again if I fail to honor Jerusalem supremely. And Lord, may you never forget what the sons of Edom did to us, saying, let's raise the city of Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. Listen, Babylon, you evil destroyer. The one who destroys you will be rewarded above all others. You will be repaid for what you've done to us. Great honor will come to those who destroy you and your future by smashing your infants against the rubble of your own destruction. One more thing I forgot to mention. Where is it? Edom, does anyone... Some of y'all were here Tuesday night, so this is a dumb question to ask because y'all know it. Who is Edom? Edom is... Another name for Esau. Who is Esau? You know the story, right? Jacob and Esau. So let's start here. Because what the writer of Psalm 137 is saying is, he, essentially, the reason that they're in Babylon is because of what the sons of Esau did. That's what he's saying. He's saying, may you never forget what the sons of Esau did to us, saying, let's strip Jerusalem naked and burn it to the ground. So, there, so what the writer is saying is, what ultimately got them from Zion to Babylon is what the sons of Esau did to us. So who is Esau? Esau is the one that his father loved because of what he brought home when he went hunting. Right? So Esau would go out into the field, he would hunt wild game, which his dad loved, he would bring home the wild game, and Isaac would eat the wild game. So Isaac loved Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He had the inheritance. God should have been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He was the firstborn. So Esau was the one who worked hard for his dad's affection. Jacob, the younger brother, was the one who stayed at home with mom. So Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. Jacob was doing nothing but being at home with mom. Isaac expected Esau to go out into the field and kill and bring something home in order to approve. Y'all with me? When Esau... And I'm going to need you. When Esau... Isaac gets older, what is wrong with Isaac in his old age? His sight. So Isaac, the father expecting a son to go out and earn his affection, loses his sight. Esau goes out into the field to hunt. He comes in. He's famished. He sits down at the table while Jacob has been at home just cooking with mom. Right? He sits down at the table and Jacob says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some of my soup if you'll give me your whole birthright. And Esau, what does he do? Esau is so hungry that he's willing to trade his entire birthright for a temporary satisfaction. And he does it. That's who Esau is. Esau is one who is willing to trade whatever it costs to get something temporary. To get something that temporarily satisfies, that's who Esau is. Jacob, who becomes Israel after he wrestles with the Lord, Jacob is the one that puts on Esau's fur, he was hairy, 
He puts it on, goes to Isaac. Isaac thinks it's Esau, and instead it's Jacob. Gives Jacob the blessing, and God becomes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of God's people flow from Jacob. So who are Esau's sons? Esau's sons are the ones that came from the ideology that you're willing to give up something of your identity in order to get something that is temporary and feel something now. I'm willing to trade my birthright to fill my belly right now. That's who Esau is. That, right? I'm willing to trade my integrity to fill my church now. And we, well, we eat that up. We love it. Bring it on. Why? Because we live in Babylon. We see everything, all success. We see the people who we need to pour into our lives, the people that we need to follow on social media. We see their quantity as indicative of their success. That's what Babylon believes. Babylon's willing to trade whatever it takes in order to get quantity. Zion is Jacob who sits at home with mom waiting for the day that you get what was prophesied over your life before you were born. The younger will serve the or the older will serve the younger. Hmm. Okay. Along the banks of Babylon's river, we set at exiles, we hung up our harps on the willow trees. Zion has been exiled by way of temporary satisfaction to the place where success is judged by the quantity of what you have. Babylon. And in Babylon, what do they do? They hang up their song of beloved identity. At the shores of Babylon, we hung up our harps. As I read this on Monday, here's what I thought of. I thought of, um, nobody listens to this, so it's fine. So all the stuff that's happening, Hillsong, all the stuff that's happening with Hillsong, Hillsong's imploding right now. And I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. As that's happening, when you and I, when we were kids, like, at least me, when I was a worship leader, all I wanted to do was lead Hillsong songs. That's all I wanted. In fact, what I really wanted was to be at Hillsong as a worship leader. You know what I'm saying? That, I mean, that was, that was what I wanted. And I'm thinking this week, as everybody's quitting and getting thrown in jail and all this other stuff, as all that's happening, I'm like, I'm thinking about this week, and I'm like, there came a point, at some, somewhere down the line, there came a point where they stopped singing the song of beloved identity, hung up their harps at the shores of Babylon. We're willing to hang up our harps if it means the entire world comes to our church. And for 20 years, it worked. And people flooded it, loved it. But there came a point. You can only hang up the song that you're designed to sing for so long until everything in your guts starts to crave it. Our music and mirth were heard no longer, only sadness. We wept with great love for Zion. We hung up our harps on the willow tree. How could we sing our song again? May I never 
be able to sing if I fail to honor Jerusalem supremely. And there is a transition that takes place, and I need more room, but that's okay. I'll do it right here. This is Babylon. This is Zion. Y'all good? Babylon, Zion. Zion is in Babylon by way of Esau. What started as beloved, the next step was temporary satisfaction. And over time, temporary satisfaction will land you in a place where every bit of who you are is defined by your temporary satisfaction. See, it starts out with you being hungry, saying, I just want soup. Awesome. I'm going to need some of your birthright. Who cares? I still got a lot. I still got it. I still got most of it. Take, give me the soup. Seems like nothing. You know what I mean? It seems like nothing. For, for the church, for the church, it's been this. You know, if we sang songs that are played on the normal radio, you know, Beyonce, more people would come to our church. It's not that big of a deal. You know, who cares? You know what I mean? We're still going to do worship. We'll still do worship, but we'll do this so that people hear we're doing this song, they'll come to our church, right? And there goes a piece of birthright. But it filled it up. You know what? I read a study a few weeks ago that people's attention span is only about 21 minutes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a timer on the TV, and we're going to tell our worship leaders, you got 21 minutes to lead worship. And during that 21 minutes, the Lord can move. But at 21 minutes, we're moving on. But we're still going to do worship. We're still going to, do, we're still going to sing songs. We're still going to pray. We're still, but, but at 21 minutes, we got to move. We got services coming up. We got people that need to fill the parking lot, right? And what happened? A little bit of birthright. Still had a lot of it but a little bit of birthright. And then what happened? It filled it up. It filled it up. Okay? Man, you two did a concert that I went to a few, few years ago, and they had lasers. And people loved it. You know what I mean? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the budget where we feed the homeless. And, you know, there's a lot of organizations that do that. We're going to take some of that money. We're going to go buy lasers because we got to reach people. Right? Four million dollars. There you go, lasers. But, we, but we're still going to do worship. We're still going to do it for 21 minutes. We're still going to do it. We're still going to do worship. We're still going to praise the Lord. We're still going to pray. We're still going to do all that stuff. And then a little bit of birthright is gone. And you fill it up. Right? Okay? Because Babylon told us that the more we fill our buildings with people, the more successful we are as a church. So we traded our beloved identity for what Babylon told us the church's success was supposed to be. When did Babylon get to define God's church? When did that happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, when, At what point... Did we say, Babylon, you let us know what you think is best for us, and we'll do it, but by God, we'll do it in the name of Jesus. And it worked. You know why? Because Babylon was the one that told us to do it. 
Of course it worked. The people that didn't want to go to church told us how to do stuff so that they would come to church and feel more comfortable, and they said things like this. If you'll do a rock show, if you won't preach on things that we don't like, if you won't step on our toes, and if you'll keep the message at an hour or at 45 minutes in the service at an hour, boy, we'll show up. So we did it, and they showed up, and they all repeated prayers, and they all went home, and they still had crappy marriages, and they were still absent fathers, and they still had crappy relationships with their parents, and they still held grudges, and they still talked about people behind their back, and they still didn't give, and they still didn't read, and they still didn't pray, but at least they were showing up and repeating a prayer. And we called it success. And so the people that you and I followed for years were the ones that had awful marriages, but great churches. And we called it, we called it success. And y'all wonder, well, why is Josh so passionate about this? Because I have a vision of Zion in the middle of Babylon. We are on the shores of Babylon, and I'm dreaming of Zion. There's an issue, right? Zion is both our greatest weapon and our greatest issue. Let me say, let me just tell me. Zion is both my greatest ministry and my greatest problem. Because we're in the middle of Babylon. Babylon brought you out of Zion. Babylon doesn't want you in Zion. It wants you in Babylon. Right? So if you're sitting on the shores of a culture that tells you this is what success needs to look like, but you have a vision of what success looks like, which is dads being present, which is marriages thriving, right? which is people in a church where the pastor knows them enough to be able to pour into them and call them out when needed, and people being in a church that are willing to sit still and let them be called out out of love and not leave. <laughs> right? I have a vision of this, and do you know what has cost me every bit of influence I've ever had in my life? Zion. My vision of Zion has cost me everything. It has. I, this morning, I told, me and my wife were talking, and I said, I literally, if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I will spend every ounce of my day wondering who's leaving next. I'm just being vulnerable. If I'm not careful, I will spend every waking moment of my life wondering and worrying and stressing and depressing about who's leaving next. Why? It's not because of Babylon. It's not because we're doing anything. It's not because we've sinned. It's not because we're embezzling money, all the stuff that, you know, the, the big guys are doing. It's not because we're doing it, right? It's not because we're doing that. It's not because we're writing checks for fog machines. I, I hope I get fired if we ever do that. You know what I'm saying? But, like, it's, no, it's because we have a vision for what we were actually made for, and that's costing us, that's costing me everything. That is costing me everything. But I say that to say encouraging things. I didn't say that to sound morbid. I said that to say, here's what they say. They say the way out of Babylon is to honor Jerusalem supremely. 
May I never be able to sing again if I fail to honor Jerusalem supremely. And may the Lord never forget what Esau did to us. But then in the end it says, The one who destroys Babylon will be rewarded above all others. You will be repaid for what you've done. Great honor will come to those who destroy you and your future by smashing your infants against the rubble of your own destruction. What are the infants? It's the seeds of Babylon. It's the thing that keeps Babylon going every generation. Right? One generation takes one step deeper into that culture. Okay? So in the 1980s, it was, what if we just played contemporary Christian music? That, that was like the, the first, that was the one step. You know what I mean? What if we wore jeans on stage? <gasps> you know what I'm saying? If we wore jeans, we would so relate to people. Thank God for those people, because you better believe I don't even own a suit. Um, and that's legit. I actually have to buy a suit for Olivia's wedding that I'm doing, because um, I don't own one. But, you know what I'm saying? The, la- the, <laughs> the last thing I did that I needed a suit, I bought a suit at Kohl's and took it back the next day. So, um, anyway, I'm probably going to get uh, sued for that. But anyway, so, but that's because I don't never wear a suit. I will never wear a suit here. Um, but, 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 y'all bring it back, bring it back, Right? <laughs> so, what was I? Even, what was I just talking about? What was I just talking about? Does anybody know? Wearing jeans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, you have evolution. Yeah, I was talking about evolution. Evolution. That's what I'm talking about. So, right, one step in, and then the next generation comes in and says, "Man." If they can wear jeans, why can't we do this? And take another step in. And if they can do that, why can't we have tattoos? We're not have tattoos, you know. Take another step in. And if they do that, why can't they shave their head and have cool hair? No. And if they do that, why can't we do what Coldplay does? Another step in. If they do that, why do we have to do services so long? It's in the Bible that says that. Take another step. Right? That's, that's the infants of Babylon. So when it's talking about the infants being destroyed... It, it mentions that in, in, right in there in the same verse it talks about great honor comes to those who will destroy you and your future. It's talking about a group of people that are in Babylon but have such a honor for Zion that they're willing to at all costs remain in honor of Zion right dead in the middle of a culture who hates Zion long enough to destroy the infants of Babylon. Right? So, so Israel's, in this case, honor for another dimension, Zion, is what not only is going to destroy Babylon, but it's going to destroy the seeds of Babylon that keep Babylon coming back year in and year out. Okay, okay, this is really good. So the first step, leaving Babylon, the first step is for you and I to have a vision of a culture that is completely anti the culture that you're currently in. That's the first step. The first step. And that's why I say it's our greatest issue and our greatest reward and blessing at the same time, right? Because we're given a vision for what it looks like for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. The problem is God's kingdom looks completely opposite of the world we have right now. So we've got to have a vision for a world that is unlike anything around us now long enough to see us not only leave, but long enough enough for us to destroy the seeds of what keeps Babylon coming up in our generations. Right? So, so we, 
But this takes a long time. The Jeremiah, the prophet, is where he gives that phrase. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, right? Amen, 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 right? And that comes right in tandem with another prophetic word, which says you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, but I'm going to bring you out, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Right? Lord, I, Lord, I believe you got plans for me. Are you willing to sit in Babylon with a vision of another world for 70 years to see those plans fulfilled? Because if so, you better believe you know the plans he's got for you. But if you think the Lord is going to take you from here to here by way of you reading your Bible for three days and getting off of social media for a month, you're wrong. You know what I'm saying? That's, if you think that the way you're going to get from here to here is to follow the crowds in the name of the Lord, you're wrong. The way that you're going to get from here to here is to live different. Not because it earns your identity, but because it reveals your identity to everybody around you. Right? So the reason I preach like I preach is not because I want to please other people. It's because I want to please the Lord in a culture that all it wants to do is please other people. Right? So, so the Lord, uh, this was Tuesday night when I got home, the Lord said this to me. He said, there are two types of shepherds. There are two types of shepherds. There's a shepherd that relates God to people, which is needed. But then there is a shepherd that relates people to God. There is a type of shepherd that brings God to the level of where the people is or are. And then there is a shepherd that takes the people, scoops them up, and brings them to the mountain of the Lord where God is. There's two types of shepherds. You see this in Saul and David. Saul was Israel's king. It was the king they asked for. He was the king after their own hearts. Right? David was a king after God's heart, and God calls him his king. Saul was Israel's king. David was God's king. David, the son of beloved identity, the rabbi said, and I said this last week, he would sneak away in the middle of the night and go sleep under the Ark of the Covenant. Saul was tormented because of what the people were saying about him. David kills Goliath, and the people start singing a song. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And Saul is immediately caught up in a tormented spirit that says, you're not as good as David. And it ruins his life. Ruins it. Because of what the people had to say about him. David is on the run for most of his life with people wanting to kill him, but he's God's king. He, does, he cares about what the people have to say, but his identity is not in what the people say. David did a lot of stuff. He slept with somebody's wife, had the dude killed. Right? And from Bathsheba came Solomon. So what he did and what the people said did not define him. What Yahweh said over him is what defined him. Jesus is called the son of David more than he's called the son of God. In the New Testament. Right? So there's two types of shepherds. There is David that has a vision of Zion. Zion is also called the city of David, right? The place where Abraham lifted up his knife to kill Isaac is the place where David's son Solomon, named, meaning peace, 
where peace would build the temple of the Lord in Zion. Right? So, you have David who has a vision of Zion, which ultimately gets the people from a Babylon consciousness to a Zion consciousness over time. And then you have a shepherd who has a vision of Zion, but remains in Babylon by way of an Esau mentality. How can I fill, my, how can I fill me up now? How can I get something satisfied now? So when you're a pastor of a church, just to tell you from my perspective, when you're a pastor of a church, if you don't have a vision of 50 or 100 or 500 years from now, you will quit, which is why all of them quit. Barna, this week, Institute came out with a, with a study and said that when they stood, 3,500, I think it was, pastors, that 90% of them quit before they retired in ministry. In other words, almost every pastor that starts in ministry quits. Why? Because when they start, they have a song of beloved identity and a Zion mentality. And then they get into congregations that expect Babylonian success. And they have to choose. Either I'm going to hang up my harp and give them what they want, or I'm going to keep playing my harp at the expense of the very people expecting Babylon. And who wants to be in that? And they quit, right? Unless you have a vision of 100 or 400 or 5,000 years from now, which is exactly what I have, which says our great, 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 great grandkids are going to be in a place of Zion because of our unwillingness to form and conform to the mentality of Babylon, even though that's exactly where we are right now. So Bill Johnson tells the story of the monarch butterfly, and I mentioned this in practice this morning. The monarch butterfly, uh, it, it migrates from Mexico to Canada every year. Every year, Mexico to Canada. When it leaves Mexico, it takes four generations for the monarch butterfly to get from Mexico to Canada. Four generations. That means three generations of these monarch butterflies leave knowing they will never make it to their destination but also knowing unless they leave and take this trip, the fourth generation won't make it either. So they're willing to give their entire lives to travel close, but never see why they set out so that the fourth generation can actually see Canada. And then when they come home, it's another four generations. Uh, right? You know what I'm saying? Lord, we're not taught in seminary. That's not what anybody's taught. That's why I didn't go to seminary. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be stained. But that we, we're not, I don't, listen, I don't want, I, here's what I want to do the rest of my life. And I'm not just saying this because mine and Jordan's anniversary is tomorrow, even though it is. Shout out. Seven years. Here's what I want to do the rest of my life. I'll, I want to love my wife. I want to love my daughter. And I want to serve this church the best I can. That's what I do the rest of my life. That's it. That's called Zion. And all of that in the middle of the presence of the Lord. So if that vision cost me Babylon, you can take it. If, if I never see quantitative success, but I get that, I, you, you can have it. 
You can have it. And if anybody needs to leave because we're not changing the world in a year, I totally understand. There are churches down the road that are filling their churches very big in a year. I don't know about changing the world, but you know what I'm saying? But if that's what you want, you can do that. You can do that. Praise God. You can chase careers. You can chase relationships. You can chase whatever you need to chase. But for a group of people that are inheriting a vision of Zion, that are inheriting a vision of beloved identity, we're, and I see, we're picking our harps up off the willow trees that for generations have been hung up. For generations, our harps, our songs of beloved identity have been hung up and we mourn in Babylon. The prophets told the Israelites, told them, if you do not turn back to the Lord, another nation is going to invade and take you where they are. If you don't turn back to the Lord, you're going to end up in Babylon. And Jerusalem refused to lay down Esau. It refused to lay down what was temporary, the prostitutes in the temples, the foreign gods, the Greeks when they come in later, the Romans when they come in later, and the Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't even have enough priests for a Sunday service because they were out at sporting events for the Romans. This is when Jesus was born. Jesus was born into a time when the Sadducees, who were over their temple um, equivalent to the church, when they were over this, they couldn't find enough priests to do a Sunday service because they were all out at the sporting events on the same day as the services were supposed to be happening. See, that's what it means when you trade quality for quantity. Just somebody get it done. We got to go to the sporting event. You know what I'm saying? Are y'all good? Are y'all with me? This, see, this is the first step to finding home or the culture that we were made for, is honoring supremely a culture other than where you are exiled. Let me read this. This is what David says in Psalm 132. He says this, I will not sleep or slumber. I will not even take time to close my eyes and rest until I find a place for you to dwell, O mighty God of Jacob. I will devote myself to finding a resting place for you. When we first started, some of you remember this story, some of you don't. When we first started, everybody asked, why are you starting another church in Columbia? And part of me in the beginning was like, actually, I don't know. But, um, no, I'm just kidding. But part of me when we first started knew the reason that we were here was because every morning I felt the Lord whispering, I need a place to rest in Columbia, and I do not have it. And every morning I would say, I'll give you that place to rest. I'll give you that place to rest. And I'm reading this this week in Psalm 132, where David himself says, I will not sleep. I won't even close my eyes until I find a place for you to rest. Which ultimately is Zion. This is what Eugene Peterson said. My, my favorite guy on earth, I think. Um, he passed away a few years ago. He's alive and well, though. He says, a pastor's work is modest work. Not glamorous work. This is behind the scenes, ignored, patient servant work. Forget about being relevant, about being effective. Friends, talking to pastors, you are living in exile. Get used to it. That's what Eugene Peterson said. This is what um, another, another author said this week, um, and I forget. Mandy, uh, I forget her name. Sorry, I meant to write it down. I didn't. Anyway, that's what another author said this week. Western Christians are both the most privileged in the world and the underdogs of the world. 
Western Christians are both the most privileged in the world in that we have the most access to any possible thing we could ever want and the underdogs of the world in that we are the most spiritually poor in all the world. How do you have the most access to God by way of any... You just walk down the street. Go today. If you leave, walk out these doors and walk down Sumter Street, you'll pass probably 20 churches. You know what I mean? Of all different shapes, colors, sizes, whatever. Denomination. Walk straight down there. We have all these quantities of things. And yet, we're the most spiritually poor in all the world. How is it that if you go to China to an underground church, they have one page of a Bible, and they would walk off of a canyon for the Lord if he asked them to? How is it that in China, they have one handwritten, by the way, page of the Bible, they go to church in an underground hidden place, knowing if we're caught, we're probably either put to death or put in jail the rest of our lives, and they do it. And in America, we have free access to a million translations of the Bible on our phones, on our iPads, on our computers, in the bookstores, come to church whenever you want, come to prayer whenever you want, and we don't care. It's because we thought quantity was going to get us there. China doesn't have quantity. They get killed for it. But you better believe they got quality. You, know, you, you see what I'm saying? So, so why? So I know I'm maybe losing some people. That's fine. Why am I teaching this? Because I used to say that vision didn't matter and that I could care less about sharing our vision. And in eyes of Babylon, that's true. I don't care if you know our vision statement or not. But, but here's what I do care about is the vision of who we are. And I think more than any other place on planet Earth, we might need to reiterate who we really are and our vision more than anybody else so that you remember why you're here. You are here. You are in this room. You are a part of this church. And when I say a part of this church, you know, I mean a part of this church. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about on the fringes. I'm talking about just hanging out, showing up sometimes. I'm talking about part of this church. You know? Babylon says you show up three times and you're a part. Zion says you get in family and you're apart. See? You know, stepped on a few toes, it's fine. Why does that, see, why does that step on toes? You know, see, that's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, I, I, I just got to stop. Why? This is church. What do you mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? I'll get emails all the time. Well, brother, you expect way more than people should, people can't give y'all devote, people can't be involved like that. This is church. What do you mean? This is the YMCA. You show up every now and then because you got a membership. This is church. This is the family of God. This is, these are the ones that Paul and Peter, and not John, he lived, but all the other ones are getting slaughtered for. Getting, they're literally tying their hands to horses with ropes and telling the horses, one run that way and run one that way, and ripping bodies to shreds over what you and I take for granted. And we're not doing it anymore. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to, listen, I want you to hear me. We are not doing that anymore. We are not going to look at the church and say, it better be like Babylon or I'm going somewhere else. Bye. See ya. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, brother, people going to leave your church. No, they're not. 
we're going to become the church. Babylon is not what defines who we are. It's where we are, just to be clear. Dear Lord, in this American, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, we're in Babylon. <laughs> we, are, we are in the Mecca of Babylon. You know what I'm saying? We're here. But we're leaving, and we're leaving by way of a song of beloved identity, by way of being trees planted by streams of living water, bearing fruit in every season, by honoring the place of presence supremely, right? And by destroying not just the mentality of Babylon, but the infant, the seed of Babylon that would rear its ugly head again. And it has to start in the church. It has to. The church is Zion. That's, that's, that's who we are. The church is Zion. If you're going to find freedom from this, you're going to have to find it as Zion. And the way you find it as Zion is through the church. And what happens when you show up to the church and all you get is Babylon, just like everywhere else around you, what happens? There's no freedom. There's nobody being set free. There's no qualitative growth. There's just quantity. And people don't need quantity growth. We get that in the corporate world. This isn't consumerism. You know what I mean? This is like, bro, I mean, I really like it when we sing this type of music. That's great. That's great. This ain't Burger King. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, like, you don't have it your way. Like, it, you know what I mean? This ain't, this ain't Burger King. This is the church. Brother, if you read 15 chapters in the beginning of worship every week, man, the people are going to lose interest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Lord, what are we doing? I, I didn't come, I didn't leave, I didn't give up every bit of my retirement and risk our whole family's future to come to a place where all I am is a puppet for us to gain, gain quantity. That ain't what I did. If so, I'll go work somewhere else. No, I left everything for a group of people that were willing to become what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has comprehended, thus says the Lord. You know what I mean? I left this so that you could grow up and be a good dad one day where you might not have been a good dad one day. And that's salvation, and that's transformation, and that's changing the globe. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want y'all to come to church because I'm a good preacher. I want you to come to church because I'm a good dad. I don't want you to come to church because I got good revelation. Here's, I don't, okay? I'm just getting stuff y'all could get to. I want you to come to church because you look at me, and anybody else that's on staff, anybody else that's here, and you look at them and you say, just like Paul says, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want to live with such integrity and character that you can look at me and say, if I follow that man right there, I might not be the richest person on earth, but you better believe I'm going to be the richest person on earth. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, th th this, is, this is who we are. Now, let me show you what happens when you get a vision of this. Psalm 126, you ready? It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting with joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw it and joined in, saying, The Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles, and we are overjoyed. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Hello. Listen. Those who sow their tears as seeds 
I have clung to this verse lately more than any other verse just about. Those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest overflowing. I told you all this Tuesday night. Matt, you can go ahead and come up here. Um, <laughs> I said this Tuesday night. When we started this church, I personally thought we were naming our church Dream Church out of Acts 2.17. Your young messy vision, your old men dream dreams. Well, Lee McDermott, who's a spiritual father of mine, uh, back then, years ago, said, I don't, he texted me one day and said, I don't think um, Dream uh, is necessarily a name after that. I think it might be Psalm 126. It was like a dream come true. And, it, of course, me being me, back then was like, hey, that's awesome. You're wrong, you know. Um, Acts 2, rock and roll. And you, you know what? Guess what? I was wrong. So, you know, I'm looking this week, and as I'm reading over this, I'm like, holy cow. What? The Lord identified us with the psalm of leaving exile. Exile where? Babylon. It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. After what? 70 years. 70 years of being at the shores of Babylon. 70 years. And I'm here to tell you as a father, it sometimes might not look like we're doing much. Sometimes it might look like we're doing the same thing over and over and over. Sometimes it might look like we should be doing more. Sometimes it might look like we should be doing this instead of this, or that instead of that, or I should be preaching on this, or I should be answering all of life's tough questions and sermons. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to preach a sermon on if homosexuality is in the Bible. One day, maybe. Okay? Sure, whatever. But like, you know what I'm saying? We, but we, as a church, and every church, but the ones who have the guts to say this, we have to have a vision of a world that we do not yet inhabit. You know what I mean? I mean, the, most of the modern church doesn't even have this view of heaven. In other words, heaven, the purpose of heaven is to be the design that invades the earth. That, that is the purpose of heaven. And we've even traded that for well, by God, I hope the right. It's like when Russia invaded Ukraine. Me and Matt have been sharing memes back and forth on this. They're hilarious. But anyway, it's like when Russia invades Ukraine and people just start having dance parties. It's like, yes. He's, he, I'll fly away, oh, Gloria. You know what I mean? Whatever. Like, praise God, Russia's invading. Russia's the, in Ezekiel, that's exactly right. It's talking about Russia. So definitely talking about Russia. We're getting, we're getting out of this planet. Where are you going? <laughs> where are you going? Mars? You know, where are you going? Bro, I'm going to heaven. Well, heaven's coming here. So you've got an issue. You see what I'm saying? You've got some issues. You're wanting to go somewhere that's coming here. So you're going to be really shocked when you get there and you realize, wait a minute. <laughs> this is exactly where I was. You know what I mean? 
shot. But, but see, we, we've even traded that away. See, that's the hope of our, the hope of glory is Christ in us, not the rapture, Lord. The rapture's not the blessed hope, the rapture's wrong. <laughs> the, look, I mean, see, you know what I'm saying? The blessed hope is me flying away. I, love, I, I would love to fly too. My Lord, if that's your blessed hope, God, like, no, blessed hope is Christ in us and heaven in the earth. That's the blessed hope. But, but trade that away. Why? Because in order to do that, we've got to have a vision of a world that has not yet invaded. Why has heaven not yet invaded earth? I mean, just why, think about it. Why, why has your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven not happened yet? I would argue two things. I would argue it has, and we don't see it, number one. But number two, the reason that that hasn't happened yet is because there hasn't been a group of people that sit long enough in a revelation of Zion to actually come out of Babylon. Amen. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Can I read this to you? Can I read? Well, I mean, why am I asking? I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, let, me, let me just read this to you right quick. Because um, I'm still early. It's a le- Lord, what's happening to us? Um, here, listen to this. You ready? Check this out. The desert, this is Isaiah 35. And the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strength, listen, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come and he will come with vengeance with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Listen. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Listen. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about on it. Nor will the lion be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. Listen, talking about Babylon. Those who the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. That happens in the wilderness. That's what it says. Isaiah and Isaiah 35 is talking about a group of people who are in the wilderness long enough that the wilderness actually bursts forth with streams and becomes Zion. It's a group of people who are willing to sit at the shores of Babylon but honor the place of presence so supremely that they take their harps back down and in a foreign land begin to sing the song of beloved identity. 
Why, when, when people ask, why are you, why are you, the, why do you make decisions like you make, right? You take your harp down and you start playing. Why are you the way that you are? You take your harp down, start playing. In this land. I, uh, one of the biggest inspirations for me lately, let me just give you, let me just let me be vulnerable with you guys. Um, this past year has been the toughest year ever, 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 ever. And um, it has, uh, tested the fact that I'm actually supposed to do this, um, which is great. The testing of my faith develops perseverance. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, for a year, like, we, I've, y'all see me. I lead worship. I preach, you know, the whole thing. And um, I was here this morning at, uh, earlier, and I was cleaning outside because y'all don't see this because when you get here, it's clean. Um, but when I first get here in the mornings, uh, you don't even want to know what's out there. Um, in fact, I, with many layers of gloves on, clean poop out of the bushes up there. Um, human. So anyway, so I'm out there doing this, and I just, I told the Lord, I said, if this isn't what a pastor does, I don't know what is. Scoops people's crap into, <laughs> into a bag and throws it away, you know what I'm saying? Um, no, I'm just kidding. But I'm out there doing this, and it hit me as I'm walking back from the trash dump. I'm walking back, and it hit me, and I told the Lord, I said, I want to, I, if, I, if I can, I want to do this forever. And, you know, there was a season where I wasn't scooping poop out of bushes. You know what I mean? Where I instead was on stage in front of thousands of people. And to be, if I'm being honest with you, I'll trade that over the stage with thousands of people every day of the week. And people don't believe that when I say that. You should, because I'm here and not there. You know what I'm saying? But like, and it's nothing to do with, and again, it's nothing to do with them. It's everything to do with my, my mindset was very Babylonian. You know what I mean? I wanted quantity, 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 quantity. To this day, people still don't get it. To this day, people still don't understand why we're, why we're the type of church that we are, which is so odd to me that we're a type of church. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're the church that goes after God. Like, um, <laughs> right? They're the presence church. Yes, God, that's, that's what churches. Um, but I say that to say, you guys, listen, I want you to hear this from a spiritual father. The Lord is extremely proud of you because there are a handful in this room who have started to catch glimmers of Zion. And you are rearranging, and I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about the way that you think, the way that you see things, the way that you process, the way that you pray, the way that you worship, the way that you read. You're starting to form that based on a vision that the Lord has started to give you glimpses of, which is Zion. And you're starting to become a people that are full of authority that are full of power, that are full of a song that when David walks in and Psalms be, and Saul's being tormented, David begins to play his harp. And immediately that torment goes away. You're, you're becoming a people that have that ability. That when you walk into a classroom, that when you walk into your jobs, you walk in and your life 
begins to play a song that everyone else around you that's being tormented by the ideas of Babylon suddenly feel at peace. You're, you're doing that. And the Lord is extremely proud of you. And I want to say this today. The Lord is, is making his bride, not just us, the church as a whole, choose this day who you will serve. It's happening in the earth right now. Choose you this day who you will serve, Babylon or Zion. You can either have all the quantity of Babylon but forfeit your soul. Or you can have all the quality of Zion and lose your life. Right? Ironically, the life that we're given after salvation is called Zoe, life to the full. You lay down your life and you pick up a life to the full that you did not have before. Bless you. <laughs> so let me pray, let me pray. Y'all bow your heads. I'm going to give a weird invitation today. Um, so basically normal. So here's what I want to pray. If you're in the room, I think some of you in the room, and you have struggled lately, and I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. This is me. I'm one of them. But you've struggled lately because you've been in the tension between Zion and Babylon. Okay? You've been in the tension of what all the culture around you expects. That could be your family, maybe. That could be your co-workers. That could be your friends. That could be stuff that you see on social media. Whatever the case may be, you've compared yourself to things that have been spoken over you, spoken against you, and you've been living in attention of Babylon and Zion. And the Lord is pulling you closer and closer, but it's going to require a rejection of a culture you weren't made for first. And if that's you in the room, you don't have to raise your hand. I just want to pray over you. Because I, I think that's most of us, if not all of us. It's been me. I've, I, have, I have whittled my struggle over the past three months down to this tension. that we're five years in and Babylon came calling saying, shouldn't you be bigger by now? While the Lord has whispered, you're bigger than you've ever been. The question is not the size. The question is not the health. The question is your measure of success. Lord, I pray over this group of people. And not just us, I pray over every pastor out there, every worship leader, every church staff member that has hung their harps up at the shores of Babylon. And I pray that a group of people in the earth would begin to rip their harps down and play the song of beloved identity so loud, so clear, that every tormenting voice in the earth begins to be eradicated. Every fear begins to be eradicated. Every idea that we are failures, that we're nothing, that nobody cares about what we do, that nobody cares about us. De depression and anxiety, all that stuff is at sky high levels right now in the earth, like we've never seen before, ever. And I believe it's because 
Babylon has held us to a standard that none of us are capable of achieving. None of us. That's why we, I mean, we, we got word yesterday of the death of a country superstar that came by way of suicide. Had everything. Had Grammys, had money, had riches, had fame, and it was not enough. Because we were not designed to be people that are quantitatively huge. We were designed to be people that are qualitatively huge in the presence of a God that says, I don't care if you have another dollar to your name, you are perfect in my eyes. That's what we've been learning for the past year. You cannot work your way into this. The problem is that stands at odds against everything we've ever been told. And not just by the church. But man, there is an era of peace that is coming to the earth that God's people are going to begin to live in rest. That's what Hebrews says. There is yet a day called today where God is inviting us into that Sabbath rest. Lord, we honor you in this place. You alone deserve all the glory that flows through this. It was like a dream come true when you led us out of our bondage and brought us home to Zion. Yahweh, I honor you, we love you, in your name, amen.